Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, media empresario. That's E-M-P-R-E-S-A-R-I-O. Empresario. So did you misspell that deliberately as a joke <laughs> or do you just not know how to spell it? I feel like either one is possible. That's E-M-E-R-E-S-A-R-I-O. I got to say, I've been waiting for this intro all week. I knew it was going to be a good one. Yeah, <laughs> no, that, that, is, that is good. And I feel like I, you know, you keep me guessing there too, which I, which I appreciate. Um, I spelled it in Spanish, to be honest with you, I think right there. So, sure. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. Is it impresario? Uh, <laughs> impresario? It's in, yeah, yeah. I- impresario yeah. with an I at the beginning. I'm just so. like uh, that Hooters at the beginning that writes congratulations to the person. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, a very amusing detail. Uh, so this is our tenth season of Awesome Movie Year, and what we've been doing this season is looking back at all the different awesome movie years that we've covered in previous seasons, and uh, picking out one movie from each of those years to kind of catch up with based on our categories. So here we are taking a look at 2003. And we are picking up another documentary to talk about. And as uh, Jason kind of is alluding to there, it is the film Spellbound from Jeffrey Blitz, the documentary about the National Spelling Bee. And uh, there is lots of spelling in this film, of course. And Josh, you yourself are a former Spelling Bee champion. That I am. Yes, Uh, I, I actually I dug out. My uh, here, I'm gonna I'm gonna show this to no one who is listening, but to Jason and Dave, my spelling certificate here, Amazing. And my, my little placard that I wore around my neck when I was uh, in the not in the National Spelling Bee. I was not nearly as good at spelling as as the people in this movie, but I was in the like regional because I won at my school when I lived in California, and so I went to the regional B. And uh, this is when I was in eighth grade. So it's the final year of eligibility for the National B. And I did not take it seriously. Uh, I remember I enjoyed winning the spelling bees at school because it was easy. And I think probably no one else cared. And so I could just do it because I was good at spelling. But going on to the regional one, my English teacher was like, well, let's practice during lunch every day so that you can you know, do well at the at the regional spelling bee. And I was like, nah. I'm not going to do that. I just, I just am going to rely on my natural talent. So of course I lost. <laughs> How far did you make it in the regionals? See, I, I was thinking about this before we were doing this and I thought I had only made it through like the first round. Like I got out immediately, but I was looking up then an article that I wrote back in 2003 when I participated in an adult spelling bee. And uh, in the article, I wrote about my, my previous experience and mentioned that I had made it to the third or fourth round. So it's possible I made it a little further than I was currently remembering. But I definitely did not take it seriously. I don't remember the word that I got out on, you know, something that like haunts a lot of these contestants, the kids in, in, in this film and in general. Um, I do remember in the adult spelling bee when I think I got to the almost to the end. 
but I was out on uh, Archaeopteryx, which I missed. What a dummy, huh, Dave? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, yeah. come on. If, um, if you had studied, you would have had a chance to go to the Nationals. I believe that. So. Well, I appreciate that, but I doubt it. I mean, watching this movie and seeing uh, what these kids were like, I mean, my experience was like five years earlier than uh, the one documented in this film. But still, like studying occasionally during lunch with the English teacher, I don't think would have been nearly enough to match what these kids do in this movie. Well, we'll never know, Josh. You wasted that potential and here you are because of it. Yes, but I do still have those souvenirs as well as I, you know, I used to have a little trophy in the shape of a bee from an earlier one when I was in fifth and sixth grade and Jason lost it. So, I was hoping uh, you wouldn't bring that up. Josh, Josh <laughs> lent it to me for a movie shoot and he said, be very careful. This is very important to me, which I don't think it is anymore, you know, but uh, somehow I did lose it and I apologize for that. I, I forgive you, but I, I still, you know what, if you, if you told me, Oh, you know what? I found your spelling bee trophy in a box somewhere. I'd be happy. I look. I have looked, Josh. I have. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure. I know. I know. This is a so, guilt-riddled episode for me, guys. I, so. uh, yeah. I, I, I forgive you. Uh, F O R G I V E. We got to stop spelling stuff. We can not do that. Anyway, Spellbound <laughs> was a big success when it was released. Uh, it premiered uh, in 2002 at the South by Southwest Film Festival, where it won the Best Documentary Feature Jury Award and continued playing tons of festivals throughout 2002, uh, including Tribeca and Toronto. And it was nominated for an Oscar in 2002 as uh, Best Documentary Feature, but as far as I could tell, didn't get any kind of commercial release. So maybe a very short qualifying release, but it lost its Oscar bid to Bowling for Columbine, and then was eventually released in 2003, in April 2003, in theaters, when it grossed $7.5 million worldwide, which is a huge amount of money for a movie like this. And I can't imagine the budget was anywhere close to that. So a very profitable film uh, and such a long life, you know, after getting that early Oscar nomination, basically before it was released in 2004, it won an Emmy for Outstanding Cultural and Artistic Programming, uh, thanks to its broadcast on Cinemax. So I don't know how all of those eligibility things work. Uh, if it just aired on TV, then it was eligible for an Emmy, even though it was a whole theatrical release. But either way, highly, highly acclaimed film. Yes, and Cinemax, not known for its award-winning programming, especially the late night section of it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Surprisingly little nudity in this film. Thankfully. Yeah, yes. So, uh, it also won an Ace Eddie Award for Best Editing for Documentary for Yana Gorskaya. Yeah, and tons of other regional awards from critics and stuff like that. And I was trying to remember if uh, Jason's hated organization, the Las Vegas Film Critics Society, had given it an award, but I, I may not have been in the Las Vegas Film Critics Society at the time, so I'm not sure. Well, I'm still not because they're a bunch of thugs. Yes, I just wanted to give you another chance to badmouth the Las Vegas Film Critics Society there. I mean, I'd rather not, but they keep putting themselves in the same position, Josh. Yeah, it's so true, so true. So critics also were highly complimentary toward this film. Roger Ebert, Seems to have sort of uh, contempt for the idea of a spelling bee, which was amusing, but uh, he, he liked the film. He said, 
It is useful to be a good speller up to a point. After that point, you're just showing off. The eight contestants in Spellbound, who have come from all over the country to compete in the 1999 National Spelling Bee, are never likely to need words such as opsimath in their daily rounds, although logoria might come in handy. As we watch them drilling with flashcards and worksheets, we hope they will win, but we're not sure what good it will do them. We cheer for all of these kids because it is so easy to remember the pain of getting something wrong in front of the whole class. None of these teenagers is good only at spelling. Jeffrey Blitz takes his documentary into their homes and schools, looks at their families and ambitions, and shows us that they're all smart in a lot of other ways, including the way that makes them a little lonely at times. And it's funny because I feel like we've talked a lot about Ebert reviews where he'll reminisce about his childhood and how he was kind of an outcast or, or a smarty pants as well. But he seems less, um, uh, not identifying as much with the spelling bee nerds as he has with others. So I wonder if Roger Ebert would be uh, beating up the spellers. Yeah, too bad there wasn't a film review B for him back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I would have loved you and you and I both would have would have loved the film review B. Uh, agreed. On. It's literally what our podcast is, Josh. You know, I, I, some things. Yes, they, they, they. Okay, lonely. They're teenagers. Every teenager feels lonely at some point. Did you root for all the kids, Josh, when you were watching this? Um, I. Yeah, I like I think they're all likable, except um, uh, Harry is extremely annoying, but he's not unlikable. Yeah, no, he kind of is unlikable. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's the he's the the character of the film, I think, that most people would remember. You know, he's uh, he's a little old Jewish man trapped in an eighth grade child's body, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't uh, you know, he's a he's a kid. I'm not going to. Uh, insult him too much or whatever but he was the only one where i found his quirkiness annoying and i was relieved that the segment of his home life was pretty short and we didn't have to spend more time with him um it was interesting because like when i say he's a little old jewish man even the joke he tells to the camera is like who construction work is Moisha and Harry. And it's like, Moisha, you know, a construction worker named Moisha. And it's like, um, but, uh, no, I mean, at that age, it's, you're, you're so far of, it's, it would be a tough age to have a documentary done about you because you're so far away from who you become. Right. And it's such an awkward age anyway, that I, I give them all a pass. Unlike you, Josh, who uh, hates the Jewish kid. <laughs> No, you're right. I mean, I would not want to watch a document of my uh, teenage life. It would be horrifying. And I'm sure I would have said a bunch of really stupid and annoying things. So um, I have sympathy for Harry. But again, at the same time, I didn't want to watch more of him. Well, say. I, the reason I asked is because, you know, Josh and I, we, we have a past of watching the spelling bee together. Sometimes, right? We've watched Spelling Bee together, I believe, at night or when it was on ESPN. And I remember there was that, like, uh, there were the, there were like certain spellers who like like tap their arms or spell on their arms or like tap their chins, and like those rituals annoy me horribly. And uh, you know, and, and they always do well. The people who do those things seems like yeah. There are a few instances in this movie of the spellers like kind of writing on the the back of their placards or on their arms with, you know, with their fingers trying to spell things out. But that seemed to have become a much more common technique. Well, I don't mind that, like pretending to write on your arm. I'm talking about like 
you know, a weird gesture, like tapping your chin or, you know, making a sound that's awkward or whatever that, that, that gets to me, but you know, whatever, that's okay. I would still watch the spelling bee today. Yeah. It's been a while since I watched it, but, um, I, I'd, uh, I'd be curious to see how it is, uh, how it looks these days. So, uh, Claudia Puig in USA Today said, who would have thought that following eight kids as they prepare for and compete in a national spelling bee could be so riveting? Director Jeffrey Blitz did. His saga of hardworking and ambitious middle schoolers captivates and touches its audience as it draws parallels among the boys and girls whose backgrounds couldn't be more different. It's refreshing to see kids, primarily ages 12 to 14, engage in purely intellectual pursuits. And the gentle, sometimes whimsical style of the filmmakers is perfectly appropriate to the subject matter. And I'm not sure if if you could really call this purely intellectual, because obviously a lot of these kids are just, it's it's a competition. This could be a movie about, you know, we see the one girl who does horseback riding or whatever. You know, it could be a movie about almost any of those kinds of school extracurricular activities that have competitions that aren't necessarily like typical athletics. Well, I thought you were going to say not purely intellectual because like that mother says like, you know, when her daughter is at home, she's like kind of an outcast because of how smart she is. But when she goes to the spelling bee, she's with people that she relates to more and it becomes like a more friendly endeavor. Well, right. That's true. I mean, it is sort of a way for these social outcasts to find people who are like them. But I mean, they're not just doing it because they're like really uh, fascinated by language or whatever. I mean, it's a competition. Yeah, and they're trying to win something. Right. Sure. That's true. Also, I want to. Like I agreed with the last part of that review, but the beginning was just so bad. Who would have thought this would have been interesting? The director thought that and made a movie about it. Thank you for that. Great writing there. Yeah. I mean, I think the point is that, you know, he realized that this would be interesting, even though most people wouldn't have expected it to be, which is which is fair. I think now, you know, this movie was so successful and so influential that we take it for granted that something like this would be interesting. but it was less likely. Well, no, that's why we picked this. I mean, to me, that's why we picked this because it's a prototype of so many uh, more documentaries of this ilk. Yes, yes, it is. And so, but I think because we've seen that so much, you forget that maybe this wasn't as likely a subject to make a documentary about when he did this, you know, in 1999. Who didn't forget? I didn't forget. That's why we picked it. (laughs) Good job, Jason. Finally, this is a, a slightly odd one. Uh, Ella Taylor in LA Weekly said, Blitz's affectionate visual wit and instinctive dramatic flair as he carries us through the finals make this a delightful account of American class ambition, albeit with a dark undertow. The one thing that's missing is a child who simply gets off on the eros of the perfectly spelled, perfectly pronounced word. For the committed word nerd, spelling has its intrinsic pleasures, but in Spellbound, it's another example of the peculiarly American mania for turning everything, even play, into work. So I think she's looking for someone with a spelling fetish, but I'm not sure exactly. Again, I have to go to the editor of this review and be like, hey, maybe we should take out the word gets off when describing (laughs) what the child wants you to do or what you want from the child. like. Just it, it's kind of cringy, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, 
I understand what she's she's saying. Yeah, it's she, sort of she wants that pure intellectual, like, oh, I just love spelling so much, you know. And maybe we get that with the champion George Stampy, you know. <laughs> but uh, I remember. I feel like one year because George Stampy won the spelling bee like a year or two after. Yeah. Uh, this one, I feel like you and I watched one time and you were really a fan of George. Stanley. Yeah, I was. And I was excited. I didn't realize I didn't remember he was in this one. And uh, yeah, George Stampy, my maybe my all time favorite speller at the National Spelling Bee. <laughs> so, yeah, I did see one uh, one letterbox review that said that George Stampy is one of the all time great movie villains. So in the, um, he's not a in this or how's he a villain? Yeah, in this. In this. Oh. No, in this. I mean, I guess. Because he's not like he's not one of the spotlight characters and he shows up kind of late as like this formidable competitor. And he he does seem a little smug about Jesus endorsing his uh, yeah. for spelling bee champion. Yeah, his three role his three rules of uh spelling is believe in Jesus, honor thy mother and father, and work hard. And it's like um uh, you know, uh I don't know what to I don't know what to make of that. You know, it's a it's an interesting way to go about spelling Thampy. But I did look him up and he's very successful now, not surprisingly. Yeah, I mean, almost all of these people go on to be very successful. Um, and we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I also saw George Thampy on like LinkedIn or something and uh, had a, an impressive array of credentials there. So good for him. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it worked. It all worked out. So. Um, Jason, did you see this movie when it was? I think we out? both did. I, if I'm not mistaken, this was one that you took me to for a screening, you know, when you were covering it or whatever. And um, it was so enjoyable back then. And uh, still to this day, so enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I, we probably did see it together at a screening. I'm, I'm pretty sure I did go to a press screening for this, although I couldn't find if I had written a review. Um, but yeah, I, you know, obviously I had the personal history with spelling and this movie came out weirdly just like a few months after I did that adult spelling bee just randomly. So I was really in a, you know, spelling frame of mind, but, um, I, yeah, I liked this movie a lot then. I think I maybe liked it even more this time. I just thought it was so enjoyable. I have memories of us in the theater and like people are just laughing and like rooting and it was a lot of fun as an experience. I got to say, yeah, I, I, it just is a good, it's a good movie. Yeah. 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 So Dave, did you see this when it came out? I don't remember when I first saw it, but I, I have this weird and we'll talk about the director's other work later, but I know that his film uh, Rocket Science played at Cinevegas uh, later on. And I feel like they showed this before that because I, I saw it there. I saw Rocket Science there and I feel like I saw Spellbound at the same time, possibly. It's possible. Yeah. yeah, maybe. I remember also seeing Rocket Science at Cinevegas. And I mean, if they did show Spellbound, I probably didn't watch it because I'd already seen it. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, that is possible. Did you ever uh, participate in a spelling bee, Dave? I sure did. Yeah, I was actually uh, I was the person that the camera caught on the news when doing like the uh, the segment on the fact that there was a, uh, a spelling bee in town. And I, I think I did pretty good. I didn't win, though. I wasn't as good as you, Josh. Oh, all right. Well, was this like in was this in Las Vegas or in Pennsylvania? This was back in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I don't I don't remember what grade I, I want to guess like maybe sixth or seventh, something around there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you remember what word you lost on? 
I wish. I absolutely wish. Um, I, I'm going to dig out that video one of these days. Maybe before this goes up, we'll see. Oh, man. You know what would be awesome is yes. if you digitize the video Please. of you with the spelling bee. We, we definitely I'm gonna would try. love to post we that. Need, that. We need that. Amazing. That's a need. Yes. <laughs> so uh, anything else you want to mention on the background of this film, Jason? Josh, I was hoping you would tell the story about the time you participated in the erotic spelling bee. <laughs> that is not a thing. That I ever did. The oh. adult spelling bee was not adult in the erotic oh. sense. It was merely it was merely for adults, although it did take place in a bar. And I won a bunch of beer glasses as a consolation prize, which was useless for me because I don't drink beer. But uh, there was no eroticism whatsoever in that spelling. Well, then I got nothing else on the background here. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll come back in a moment and talk about our general thoughts on Spellbound. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year in this episode of our special anniversary-ish retrospective season. We're returning to 2003 to talk about our documentary pick, Spellbound. And as we're saying, this movie is just, it's just delightful, I think. It's just so much fun to watch. And the characters, or the subjects, rather, um, despite my slight annoyances with uh, Harry Altman, I think are all just so likable and they're so easy to engage with and root for, but also they're all very different. And one of the things that was alluded to in some of the reviews that Jeffrey Blitz, I think, does really well here is that he picks this really good range of people in terms of socioeconomic class, in terms of uh, national background, race, gender, all of that. And this movie really is like sort of a microcosm of American life in a lot of ways because of the range, you know, from, um, is it Angela? I think her name, the African-American girl who lives in Washington, DC and, you know, has this, uh, working class mother and her name is Ashley, if I'm not mistaken. Angela is the one in Texas who comes from, uh, the immigrant family from Mexico. Right. So, I mean, both of those you know, represent this kind of, you know, this much less privileged background. And then you have the girl from uh, Connecticut who has this obviously very upper class background. And she has the the scene, the great uh, moment when she mentions how they were going to bring the au pair, but they decided not to bring the au pair and how that made it a nice bonding uh, moment. And you could not like script a better oblivious uh, you know, upper class privileged kid thing to say than that. So I feel like Jeffrey Blitz by just, he doesn't comment. There's no narration. There's no, you know, pundits uh, reflecting on this, but he really reflects the the broad range of American society in, in the way he, he shows. Stuff. Yeah. So that's Emily from Connecticut and uh, the rich girl who does the writing and the singing also. Right. Uh, you have Newper from Tampa. And uh, she um, comes from a family from India. And, you know, there's Ted from Missouri. And I think they kind of live on a farm style thing. And then there's also April from Pennsylvania. They live in a very blue collar town. You know, Harry, you mentioned from Glenrock, New Jersey, home of the kosher nosh deli, Josh. And then there was Neil, whose family is in San Clemente. And that's an interesting one because that one, uh, another family of immigrants, and that dad is so 
beholden or in reverence to the American dream, which he's clearly captured, right? He has his own real estate company and they've built their own house, him and his brother. And he just thinks if you work hard, anything can happen. And uh, it's a pretty interesting look, like you said, at the cross sections of people. Right. And I think even when you think of and something, you know, the spelling bee became more and more dominated by a lot of these children of, of uh, Indian immigrants. But even the two families from India that you see in this film are very different. You know, you mentioned like you have Neil's family who are are quite wealthy and his father is really obsessed more than Neil is with succeeding in the spelling bee. And they hire all these tutors for him and he spends you know, eight hours a day going through all of these words, that thousands and thousands of words. Um, and then Nooper, her family, who are also very supportive and um, proud of her, but they are much less uh, rigorous and they're much less obsessive about coaching her to succeed. So, you know, you see uh, the this range of, of dynamics within the families, some of the parents. I mean, all of the parents are supportive. We never get anyone whose parents don't care. I guess we do have Harry's mother, right, who mentions that she forgot he was in the regional spelling bee until she got a phone call that he had won. But even that doesn't seem like she's not supportive. So, you know, well, they do. They, they tell the story of the woman who said that the spelling bee is just another form of child abuse. So um, which is less about not supporting your child and more about the, you know, mechanism of the spelling bee and everything. Um. But yeah, no, like you're saying, um, they you, you do see all this and you do see those different ways that they prepare. Like with Neil, it's interesting because like his dad, like you said, gets him these tutors for all these languages so he could study French words that turn into, you know, English and, you know, uh, Spanish words that come into English. But and then his mom says stuff like, well, I put his clothes out for him because it gives him an extra two minutes a day, which he could be studying. So they're obsessed but it's like a family team effort, right? And then the sister who, his older sister who was in the Spelling Bee also goes on to say like, we go to the movies. Neil plays with his friends. So they have a goal here. Uh, and the dad kind of is pretty clear. And I think pretty uh, like, I don't think he's off base by saying like, hey, whether he wins or loses, he's going to learn that if you work hard for something and you try for something, um, there's a reward to it, right? So Maybe he went, obviously, we'd say like a little overboard, but his intentions were right, I think. Yeah. And I, I, I think that he is the most or he is the closest to the kind of awful, you know, stage parent or coach parent that we think of for uh, performers or kids who play sports. Um, but he's not terrible in the way that so many of those parents are. And he still seems very loving and supportive. And when Neil, you know, spoiler alert, uh, gets out in the spelling bee, you know, you don't see anything from that father other than I'm proud of him. I love him. You know, whereas the sort of stereotype of that kind of parent would be yelling at him or why couldn't you, why didn't you remember this? And why didn't you use this technique or whatever? So I don't think he comes off as, as bad here. It's just different from, you know, he's at a, a more intense level than any of those other parents. Yeah, and as for the kids, they all seem to take it pretty well, except Ashley. She takes it the hardest and is crying when she's eliminated. But um, I got to say, for the most part, the kids were like, eh, I did my thing, and they were all pretty cool about it. Yeah, and and poor Ashley, of course, is, I mean, more than any of these other people would would really benefit from winning a scholarship. 
you know, you get the impression that maybe not all, but a lot of these other kids, it wouldn't really make a difference. Um, you know, they're going to go regardless. But for her, I mean, in the circumstances that she's in, she has a lot more writing on it, I think, than anyone else does. And that, I think, makes it a lot harder for her to she live. She comes from a lower socioeconomic class, single mom in uh, Washington, D.C., as far as we can tell. Josh, when you lost, did you cry? No, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't. Because, again, I, I kind of set myself up to lose. I was like, whatever, I don't care. I don't want to try. <laughs> if I get it right, I get it right. If I don't, I don't. I feel like I was more disappointed when I lost the adult spelling bee. Yeah. Because we were all disappointed when, in you then. Th were you there? I don't remember if you were I don't there. think so, but I like that. I want to hear about you being disappointed in yourself. So please go on. Yeah. Well, because I think the thing was as a kid, like I said, I was like, whatever, I'm not really going to take this seriously. I assume one of my parents at least was there because they would have had to drive me to it. But I don't think it was something that my parents were like, oh, wow, you're in the spelling bee. Let's go as a family and cheer you on or whatever. Um, whereas in the adult spelling bee, I think I had uh, talked up my spelling abilities to my coworkers at Las Vegas Weekly at the time. And a bunch of them were there. Um, and I think they took bets. I, this is all from reading my <laughs> article that I wrote that I read over last night. So they, they took bets on me uh, winning the spelling bee. And, uh, you know, there was definitely a lot more of a, a performance aspect to it. And so um, I remember being more disappointed that I had messed up that word, especially because and this is something that comes up in the movie as well. A lot of it is the luck of the draw. You get up there and you get a word that you don't know how to spell. And so you're out. Whereas then the later words that come up for other people, you're like, oh, I knew all those words. And I just happened to get the one that I didn't know. So that was certainly frustrating to sit there and realize, well, I could have spelled all the rest of the words all the way through, including the winning word. But of course, I got stuck with the one that I didn't know. Yeah, I think if I competed in an adult spelling bee and I lost, I would make a huge dramatic show out of it. Like I was really disappointed in myself and the result and and just go over the top and confuse people. Some would know it's a joke and some would just be like, what is wrong with this guy? Actually, they'd all probably say what is wrong with this guy, but for different reasons. Yeah, maybe if you were asked to spell impresario, that would happen. I-M-P-R-E-S-A-R-I-O, impresario. There you go. Now you got okay, it. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So you, we talked about Harry. He's kind of like, the character that stood out, I think, in the reviews for a lot of people, Ebert loved him, you know, and he's got all these um, unique ticks, shall we say, and he talks to himself and criticizes himself while he's he like comments on his spelling while he's spelling and everything. And um, I thought I thought that was I guess where I'm getting at is like if you take him and then you take um April's mom from Pennsylvania and you see those reaction shots of like her every time April does well. I thought to myself, this could have been a Christopher Guest movie if this wasn't real life. Oh yeah, certainly. Um I mean, and those Christopher Guest movies really have the same structure as this movie. Um and and absolutely there's a lot of characters and um that's another thing that Jeffrey Blitz does well. You know, he picks out people who are entertaining to watch who are quirky and, and some of the, some whether it's the parents or the kids, some of the kids are uh, a little dull, like Neil, who we were talking about with the really obsessive father. The father is fascinating. Neil himself barely seems to have anything to say. Um, so 
it's a it's a balance of that. But yeah, there's a lot of of funny, strange people in this film, and you wouldn't take much to exaggerate them a little more to make this into like a scripted Christopher Guest kind of comedy. Right, and it is interesting, like you're saying, with Neil's dad, you know, and he's the American dream, and you can go for it, and then you get to April's dad, and he's like, I was born on the other side of town, and then I moved to this side of town. Not much of a success story, right? Like, right. But um, but they seem satisfied with their life, which is great, you know. So I thought, uh, um, like you're saying, he also kind of lucked out. You wonder how many. I know he followed at least one more kid that didn't make the final cut, but like, you know, he got the champ in this one. That's pretty good. And uh, you know, I would have thought he would have had Thampy because of that, because Thampy was a favorite, but Newper ended up winning. This is not a spoiler alert. This is on the record from years ago, but he got the champ, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that, that is lucky. And I did, I did kind of wonder there when they briefly show you a bit of Thampy and they talk to his parents and they've got the footage of him from his church. If he was sort of hedging his bets, like, uh Oh, it seems like this guy might win. Let's get some stuff of him just in case. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he definitely, not only does he get Newper the champion, but almost all of the people that he picked do really well and go really far. Um, Ted uh, from Missouri is the only one who gets out in the first round, but the rest of them go at least a couple rounds and a lot of them into way toward the end. So yeah, he picked, uh, he, he, he made good choices here, picking the subjects for that reason. And also for all the reasons of the diversity of storytelling and representation. So you know, something that I think would be a lot more uh, top of mind for somebody who's making a documentary now, but, you know, was less of a, a thing that people were talking about as much in, in 2002, 2003. But, you know, he he does it and he doesn't draw sort of, uh, you know, extra attention to it. Like, you know, look at this commentary on American society. It's just there. And I liked that about it. You know, just to follow up on this whole American dream thing, I thought Angela, um, who's dad and mom are from Mexico and they came over, you know, with a coyote illegally or whatever. And I thought that was an interesting story because, you know, the father had just been kind of raising cattle for a rancher for the last uh, 30 years. And, you know, he's one of these like not racist racists, right? Like, right. you know, there's a lot of good Mexicans out there, that type of guy, right? And, you know, doesn't know he's racist. And, the father has, he had never traveled anywhere. He said, this was my goal to get my family to America. And then he got to see his daughter compete and she didn't win, but it didn't matter. And he said, you know, this is, this is the life. This is why we made this risk to give these people, to give our kids a better life. So I thought that was a good story as well. Yeah. It's, it's, it's heartwarming there for that kind of full circle immigrant story. And that is a great bit where you have the rancher and his wife and not only they're sort of telling on themselves as being racist, but just again, as Christopher Guest style right. characters and he, they're hard of hearing and they keep having to yell at each other and she's doing her knitting the whole time and everything is like, you could not script this better. You know, Josh, if we're talking about people telling on themselves, there's that whole story about Neil, you know, we, we've talked about his dad, but how about his grandfather in India? He paid a thousand people to pray for Neil to win. But he said, if Neil does win, I'll feed 5,000 people. So 5,000 people did not get fed 
because this man's grandson did not win a spelling bee. Like, kind of a dick move, bro. Yeah, I thought about that as well. And especially the way one of Neil's tutors, like, tells the story that this is happening. And she presents it as like, oh, and if he wins, 5,000 people will be fed. Like, this is a great thing. Like, lady, do you not understand that these starving people (laughs) are losing out on the magnanimous, you know, the generosity of Neil's obviously wealthy family uh, based on a fucking spelling bee? Do you think think they told him too? Like, hey, Neil, there are 5,000 starving people that are waiting for you to win this thing. And if not, they'll still be starving. No pressure, go win, Neil, go win. Right, it is a, it is a horrifying thing if you think about it for, for more than like a second, which obviously that lady did not. But there's also, there's so many great details in this. You mentioned the congratulations sign for the, from the, the Hooters in, in Newper's hometown. And there's the other misspelled sign for Ted that calls him a, a Chapham instead yeah. of a champ that his his little brother kind of makes fun of him. And there's, I love the one, I think, is it is it Newper's little brother who does his whole interview sitting in an inflatable Darth Maul chair that oh, I just yeah. thought was hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, just a dumb thing that a little kid who's probably like, you know, nine or 10 years old or something in 1999 would obviously own an inflatable Darth Maul chair. But it's just perfect. And the terrible t-shirts that they wear, uh, Ted, I think, has this extremely ugly, like Tasmanian devil T-shirt that's green. Um, it, it just whether that like I'm sure that's not on, you know, he didn't tell the kids what to wear or where to sit necessarily. But he just has a great eye for these weird bits of Americana. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen more where though, because that woman had said like, oh, when we come here or one of the moms said, you know, we go to events and there's an ice cream social and like. I would have loved to have seen more interaction with the competitors and their families at the events surrounding the spelling bee. Cause that's something we don't know anything about. I think that could have added some good color to the film. Um, I also, you know, they kind of do a little bit of the history of it, which you have to do in a documentary like this. I, I like that. And I, I was always fascinated by uh, Alex Cameron, the pronouncer, the, the, uh, the uh, professional pronouncer of the thing who I think died and has, uh, you know, there's a guy who was his assistant is now the pronouncer, but like, how does one become the pronouncer at a, at a national spelling bee? I, I wouldn't have minded some more details on him either. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a good balance of that where you probably could have done the whole documentary just about the history of it. And they interview the guy the, the who won the first spelling bee in 1925 and the, the pronouncer, you, as you said, and the woman who runs it at the time, who is herself a former champion. And, but there's enough of that to give you a sense of the history of it and how it's run um, without overwhelming the story of these kids. And so I don't know about him, but the, the guy you mentioned that's sort of his, I don't know, his assistant or the, the one who works with him who then became the pronouncer, he was a former champion. So that's presumably one of the ways yeah. you get to be the pronouncer is to have been a champion. Well, um, and like you said, that woman was a former champion and she is like another christopher guest character where she's always saying you know it's always there with you people always know you're a former spelling bee champ and i'm like really are you are you just headed to chili's and people are like guess who's here it's Paige, the 1981 national spelling bee champion we all know her just by looking at her face you know i mean maybe like come on tell me if you found if you ran into george thumpy in a restaurant would you not be excited i mean i would but i don't think i would recognize him at this point because he's not a child speller anymore as which is <laughs> when i knew who he was not as an adult endocrinologist or whatever he is now no no that's 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 totally fair 
But yeah, I mean, there's so many. Uh, also, uh, one of the women who's uh, the announcer for the ESPN broadcast is another former champion. So who we, we don't really see, she doesn't get an interview, but we see her doing the commentary on the spelling bee. So uh, yeah, I would have liked to have known more about like stuff like that too. And I'm not like I like this movie, and you know we'll rate it in a minute here. Um, but like, um, but I do think there are aspects of it that could have been expanded upon and. I'm glad this was 90 minutes. I'm sure if he did it today, it could have been like a limited series following each kid and all these little details and stuff. Right. It could have been. And I feel like if it were that, we'd be saying like, oh, there's too much detail. There's like more than we really need. Do we need, you know, one hour long episode with each of these kids before we get to the spelling bee or whatever? I, I you know, given the current trend in documentaries, I'm happy to see a 90 minute documentary where I'm left wanting a little more rather than something where I'm like, when will this end and put me out of my misery? So that's my I agree on, I on agree. the documentary format, at least. So uh, should we give this a rating out of uh, five uh, impossible to spell words in five obsomaths? Five, uh, whatever the fuck that is. Uh, Lageria was the one she won, right? On, yeah, uh, that's, I feel like that's an easier one. I, for me, at least, I'm like, well, I know what that word, if I know it, you know what it means, and I've heard it used in actual speech. Generally, you know, I'm able to spell it. So, did you know bands? Because it's such no. a short word. No, right. I would not have known that one, um, which is the one that Harry Altman loses on. I wouldn't have spelled it like him because, of course, he spells it like he, a very he, common other yeah. word. And he said he he made their worst choice on it too. Right, yeah. but that's the other thing about Harry is that he's a sore loser. That when he talks about how he made the wrong choice in spelling. He still blames the pronouncer for not pronouncing it right. And it's like, look, man, you fucked it up. You got it wrong. Just own it. And uh, that's another uh, reason that I don't like Harry Altman. I mean, let's let's rate this before you um, keep ripping this Jewish boy apart, Josh, and showing your true colors. <laughs> OK, uh, three and a half impossible to spell words for me. I'm going to give it four. I just really enjoyed this movie all the way through. I had such a fun time with it again. So four impossible to spell words from me. Dave? I'm going to go three and a half as well. It's it's great. And like you said, I think any longer it would have started to like kind of come apart. Right. I think it's a perfect length. And that's a something, especially with documentaries, that's important to know like, hey, I've got enough. And now this is time to end it. So yeah. I appreciate that. We'll come back in a moment then and talk about the legacy of Spellbound. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our special retrospective season, we're talking about 2003 documentary pick Spellbound. And uh, as we, we talked about, uh, a big legacy of this movie, because it was so successful, is other movies that follow similar structure, uh, documentary films about kind of weird niche competitions um, and there's so many of them. I was looking through a letterbox list of movies like this and it was like, you know, 50 plus movies. Um, and I, I've, I've seen a small number of them. I remember there was a, a documentary about, uh, Scrabble players called word wars that I enjoyed. Science fair is one from a few years ago that was very successful. Um, that was up for a lot of awards and stuff is probably, you know, one of the more high profile ones. And just less than a year ago, I think there was a, a Disney Plus film called Own the Room that I watched that was about uh, like a business pitch competition 
uh, with college students. So do you have any favorites of that genre? Yeah, I mean, I even think Boys State was kind of similar to that. You know, we've covered King of Kong here. We're talking about these offbeat competitors doing things like that. So you can kind of look at all these things. I remember I watched one on like a magic camp and there's all, they're all like, this was the one that kind of mainstreamed it. But like you said, that list of 50 doesn't surprise me. And I'm sure I've seen a lot more than I'm thinking of, but off the top of my head, those are, those are a few good ones. Yeah. I mean, I looking through that list, I actually uh, noticed that I had, there were a couple on there that I had apparently seen and I was like, Oh, I didn't even remember. I saw that there was right. one about, one about the World Series of Beer Pong that I must have seen at a festival somewhere or something. And, I, you know, was completely forgettable, but it existed. Um, and the Spelling Bee itself, which was already getting, you know, partially broadcast on ESPN in 1999, this movie really elevated the popularity of the Spelling Bee even more. And it had a period of time when the finals were broadcast on ABC and prime time. That might have been, Jason, when you and I watched it together. Um, cause it was, you know, hyped up and it was a, a, a broadcast in prime time and it, the spelling bee itself became so popular that the competition got, it seems like a lot more heated and these kids, you know, we think some of the kids in this movie like Neil are training insane amounts or, you know, learning thousands and thousands of words and how crazy it is, but it gets even more so to where they have to change the rules so that it's harder because otherwise like all the kids just spell all the words immediately. Mm. And in the, the 20, I think it was in the 2019 B, they had an eight way tie for the winner because they ran out of words <laughs> for the finalists to spell. So it's a huge deal now, even far more so than it was when they made this film. I didn't know that. Um, it has lost some of the steam of like, you know, kind of like World Series of Poker when Chris Moneymaker won and then it was all over TV. And now you're like, yeah, you could still find it, but it's not as prevalent. But an eight way tie. No, you fight to the death. <laughs> right. Well, that does seem like an anomaly because in the in the, the B the following year, they went back to just having one winner. But still, like the, all the different rules that they had to implement in order to sort of narrow down the field of competitors and make it so that people will still get eliminated. They have to implement time limits and all this other stuff because these kids are so good and they know so many words that like no one will lose <laughs> otherwise. Okay, Josh, let's talk about something here. Yeah. Jeffrey Blitz, Oof. we love this documentary and we loved his first feature. What happened? Well, I mean, yes, uh, his first feature, as we were talking about before, Rocket Science, which has a lot of the same themes as this film about academic competition, was a big breakout role for Anna Kendrick. Um, very entertaining movie. He also made another documentary, which I haven't seen, called Lucky, about lottery winners. I watched it. Is it any good? It is. It follows the same format. We spread across, find eight different lottery winners. It doesn't have the energy that this one has. Um, the editing is really boring. Not to say that this editing was so dynamic, but it kept the pace going and it just kind of felt flat. Like I, and I, I don't know why it, it, it seemed like he was, it almost was like, yeah, I guess I'll do something to make some money or something. You know, it wasn't, it just didn't have the passion that this one seemed to have. Yeah, that's a, that's a shame. And, um, you know, he's only made two narrative feature films. 
And his second one, which also had Anna Kendrick called Table 19, which is about guests at a wedding, is awful. I don't know if you've seen that movie. I have, and I remember you telling me it's not good, though. Yeah, it's very bad. But, I mean, he's had an extremely successful career as a TV director. He works constantly. He was one of the main directors on a lot of episodes of The Office. So yeah, he won I mean, an Emmy for The Office. You, you know, he's successful in that way. But I think what we would have maybe hoped for him based on watching this movie is not where his career went. I mean, and in a way it's similar. We talked about the King of Kong and Seth Gordon and the career that he's had that was a bit disappointing based on how good that movie is as a documentary. And I feel like it's a similar trajectory. Yeah, so he won an Emmy for directing The Office. He won the Dramatic Directing Prize at Sundance for uh, Rocket Science. And now, like you said, he does a ton of TV directing, most recently Upload and the new Anna Gasteyer vehicle, American Auto. Which just, I mean, as we're recording this, just premiered like a few weeks ago. So he's sure. certainly certainly keeping himself busy. But I don't. I wonder if he's, you know, trying to get back into a narrative feature or even another documentary. I'm sort of surprised there never was like a Spellbound two, where, um, you know, they follow up on on these people uh, and see where they are ten, fifteen, twenty, whatever years later. Yeah, but there was that one a couple of years ago. That was also about spelling and maybe the spelling bee or something. I don't remember what it was called, but Newper was in it again. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's a Netflix film. And I actually, I was, I would have loved to to watch it if I'd had the time. It's called Spelling the Dream from 2020. And yeah, Newper is in it. I assume obviously not as a competitor anymore, but probably similar to what we have uh, in Spellbound with some of those former contestants commenting on it. So um, I, I would be curious to see that one. And spelling bees in general were a bit of a trend uh, also in narrative films. Uh, I have seen uh, Aquila and the Bee with uh, Kiki Palmer. Um, I apparently had seen Bee Season, which I forgot that I'd seen, but I looked at my review and it was not good, according to me, uh, in like 2005 or whatever. Was that the one with Lawrence Fishburne? Um, I don't know. That one has Richard Gere. And um, I forget who the kid is. And it's like a weird family drama. The kid is a spelling champion and Richard Gere, her father is like a Kabbalah scholar and Juliet Binoche plays her mom. And I, I honestly remembered nothing about it, but reading my review, uh, it sounded like it wasn't very good. Right. Um, Lawrence, I don't know if Lawrence Fishburne was in Aquila and the Bee, but that's Kiki Palmer is the, the main character who's a young African-American girl who starts, you know, succeeds and gets to the national spelling bee. And I don't know, Jason, did you see Bad Words, the yeah. Jason Bateman film? Yeah, the, his his uh, initial effort at directing a feature film, right? His first feature yeah, where he's kind of like taking the kid to the spelling bee and it's, um, you know, it's both feel good and somewhat adult in uh, the way the humor, right? Yeah. Was that good? I remember it, get, it got a lot of not good reviews. I thought it was all right. Nothing, yeah. you know, I don't remember it well enough, so it couldn't have been great. Right. So. Right. Right. Um, so I don't want, we don't necessarily need to go through every one of these participants, but I, you know, a few notable ones. You mentioned Nooper having been in that film, Spelling the Dream, uh, and she was the winner. So obviously like the most high profile from this film. Apparently, she turned down an offer from MTV to do a reality show when she went to college. Which is probably a smart move on her part. Uh, Emily Stagg, uh, the contestant from the uh, upper class Connecticut family, wrote a New York Times op-ed in 2006 uh, where she was somewhat critical of the spelling bee, mainly just kind of suggesting some changes and the idea that spelling 
is in the age of computers, not really uh, that valuable a skill anymore. And she Ooh, wanted it. To- emoji B. <laughs> she wanted it. Yeah, there you go. She wanted it to be changed to a, a definitions B maybe where it was about vocabulary and knowing what words mean, or at least expanding the role of that. So it was kind of mild the way it was, uh, you know, listed on like Wikipedia is like, oh, she was, you know, critical. And I thought, oh, maybe she's saying that it ruined her life or something, but it's very, very mild what she says there. And, uh, and then sadly, um, as, as, as we were saying earlier, most of these people, they go on to very successful careers, um, you know, multiple degrees and all of that. But, uh, Ted, Ted Brigham, the one from the farm in Missouri died in 2007 on undisclosed causes, which is, seems, seems like a very weird mysterious thing that happened while he was in medical school. So a sad note there at the end. I don't know. Do you have any other uh, notable things about these people you want to mention? No, I looked I mean, uh, April has written two books, The Study Guide and Where to Start. And yeah, I mean, like you said, they're all successful, right? You know, Neil's a chess champion and your boy Harry is, uh, you know, PhD. And everyone, everyone's successful. They're all doing great. They're all, they all have PhDs and stuff like that. So. Right. That's what I'm saying. All of them, they go on to these mostly multiple, yeah. multiple degrees and successful jobs. And I did look up Harry's Twitter, which was full of like obscure jokes about math formulas that I didn't understand. <laughs> That's so. fantastic. Yeah. Uh, can you read us one right now? Let's see here. So he had he has 581 followers on Twitter and his bio is I potato what I potato and that's all that I potato. Yes. So that's, that's good. That's his that's his description. Um so here's here's his tweet from December 28th he says I can't think of weird distributive lattices. So, you know, is that a math joke that I'm not? Uh, I mean, I think, yeah, lat- lattices, lattices are, are mm-hmm. like a geometry thing or a math representation mm-hmm. thing. Are any of these mathematicians named Moishi? I don't believe so. Yeah. Here's something where it's like, I don't know if this is a joke or just an observation. He says, huh, I only just realized each congruence class in Z, P slash Z consists of a single tail, except for zero, which consists of two kind of like R. So, oh my God, he just gave it to zero so hard. Oh my God. Zero must be feeling that one. Yeah. So, uh, so follow Harry Altman on Twitter for more observations like that. Ooh, take what a takedown of zero. Zero must feel like a zero right now. Huh? Yeah. Um, there you are. So don't get him started I, I, on R. Yeah, obviously, you know, he's got a lot of thoughts on R. So anything else you want to mention on the legacy of this film, Jason? No, I think we did it. Josh, if you participate in another adult spelling bee or erotic spelling bee, Dave and I will go support you. Thank you. I would like after I did that one, it was even though I lost, I thought it was fun. And I was I was hoping it would become like a regular event. It was at this bar. And uh, it did not. And so I never found another one to participate in, but I, I would. Um, maybe there's a Zoom one or something that I could do online. Uh, that might be a fun thing to do as I sit here. I mean, house. it seems like if you had a bar like <laughs> and you were like, we were going to do the annual spelling bee, that would make sense. What about the uh, Putnam spelling bee? You got to mention that the great, uh, huge, successful Broadway show. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that Broadway show? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's it's mentioned. There we are. Thanks. I think Thanks. it was being was it being made into a movie at one point? I don't know if that's happening. 
Dear Evan Hansen. Okay, now we're just really <laughs> totally lost here. I think we should wrap this up then. That is Spellbound, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Follow us, Harry Altman, on social media. <laughs> you can follow us at Awesome Movie Year. I don't think I need to spell that for you because you know how to spell it. That's where we're at on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, awesomemovieyear.com. I'm Jason Harris Comedy or J Harris Comedy on all the socials. My website, go for Jason. Uh, yeah, it lost in the first round. <laughs> uh, I'm at joshbellhateseverything.com, which I did post some stuff on not too long ago. So uh, I win. I made it to the second round there. Uh, Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. Check out Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at PiecingPod, where I also post my Wordle scores. Oh, nice. I too have been playing Wordle, <laughs> although not posting it, but uh, very fun. Tell me what that is. I don't know that one. It's like a viral sensation uh, word game that you can find online where there's just one one little word puzzle a day. So uh, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun and it's simple and easy to learn how to do it, but it's, it's a good challenge um, yeah. each day. So. I do a word game every day on the phone, word, Wordscapes, which is another one of those whoop building puzzles. But now, hey, that's what I need. More, more games to make me avoid doing real work. <laughs> that's what we're here for here at Awesome Game Year. <laughs> <laughs> what's in our next episode jason so josh since it is your pick why don't you tell us what's in the next episode well for my pick we are looking at 2007 and my pick is greg Araki's stoner comedy smiley face so tune in next time for smiley face and thanks for listening to awesome movie year thank you for listening to awesome movie year Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.